Welcome to the Pathway Church Podcast, where you'll find fresh messages uploaded weekly. Pathway Church is a Bible-based church located in Peterborough, Ontario, and we're on a mission to reach people far from God and see them become devoted followers of Jesus. We hope that what you hear today will help you to take one step closer to Jesus. Thanks so much for joining us, and if you like what you hear, don't forget to subscribe. Last week, if you weren't with us, we finished a message series all about habit. And I hope that that uh, message was helpful for you. I know it was definitely helpful for me. And uh, next week, we're actually going to start a three-week message series all about being for Peterborough. And what we're going to be talking about is how we as a church want to get outside of the walls of our church and integrate with our community, love our community with no strings attached, and let them know that we're for them, right? Even though we may not agree with everyone on everything, that we are for them because God is for them. So we're going to be talking about that. You won't want to miss that in the upcoming week. And so today, I had the opportunity to kind of preach on whatever I want. And uh, today, what I wanted to do was actually teach uh, from Romans chapter 14. And I want to I talk to you about how we as a church are to do life together. And this is significant. So today as lead pastor, I want to speak to you, the church, the people that call Pathway Church home. If you're a guest here today, I want to let you know that um, uh, this message is still applicable to you and you can take these ideas and this uh, lesson that we're going to be talking about and apply it to your life or to your home church, wherever you call home. Uh, but maybe you've heard this, uh, this old phrase about that there are no perfect people and there are no perfect churches. And I've heard preachers say this, I probably said it myself, that if you find the perfect church, the moment you arrive, it ceases to be perfect. Okay? And we all chuckle because we're like, yeah, it's kind of true. I would also say that if you call Pathway Church home and nobody here gets on your nerves, nobody gets under your skin, nobody rubs you the wrong way, it's probably not your church home. Because it's pretty much impossible to do life with your family and not rub each other the wrong way, to have differences of opinion, to have little quarrels and micro fights and all of that stuff, right? You all in agreement? You loosen up a little bit, okay? It's true. Uh, And so today what I want to do is I want to speak to you as pastor um, into uh, a way of thinking and a way of behaving as Christians that allows us to live in Christian unity, in spite of the fact that sometimes we'll have differences of opinion, we'll have difference uh, in how we interpret scriptures, we'll have difference in our ethic, the way we think we should behave. Uh, So there are going to be all these differences, there always have been, and how do we do it with wisdom, with grace, and with love? So this is an important message uh, for all of us. You see, uh, in Romans 14, Paul is going to be addressing two groups of people. And it's very likely that these groups of people have written to Paul, because there's a church in Rome, And there's these two groups that are dividing over theological issues and ethical issues. And they're becoming divided. And they probably wrote Paul to say, hey, Paul, would you speak into this? Would you tell us who's right? Would you set us straight? You're the apostle. And so Paul writes. And so we're going to discover today uh, Paul's response to this particular situation. It's kind of encouraging to me to discover that even in the early church, like while the apostles, Peter and James and John and, and the others, who saw the resurrected Jesus who walked with Jesus. I mean, if anybody had the, the, the skinny on how Christian life should be lived, it was these guys. And they were still alive. And, and even in the earliest phases of the church, we read about how the church already began to divide over different ideas. So it's not just us. It's not just the modern church. It's just a people thing. And so we see this happening. And throughout history, churches have divided on, on doctrinal lines. And there are some doctrines we should divide over. Okay, I'll just say that outright. Like, if someone comes to me and says, that's not the word of God, this doesn't matter, this is, it's like, we're not on the same team, okay? <laughs> I love you, we're not on the same team. If someone says, hey, you know, um, 
Jesus is great and he rose from the dead, but we need to add all these other things in order to be saved. And be like, nah, we're not on it. So there are some very key doctrines that distinguish the church and those who follow Jesus, but there's a thousand doctrines that don't distinguish children of God from those who are not. And so what's happened over history, um, people have divided on doctrinal lines. A doctrine is simply uh, what we understand the Bible to say about a particular subject. So for example, some churches will focus on the power and the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Tongues, interpretation, prophecy, and the like. That's, that's the power of the Holy Spirit. And then other churches say, actually, we don't even want to touch that because we don't, we don't understand that or that's not for today, but we want to focus on the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, faithfulness, self-control. Both trying to honor the same Spirit in different ways. Doctrinal division. And so one church goes, okay, well, we'll meet here and do this, and you meet there and do that. Anybody know what I'm talking about, right? Churches will meet over doctrinal lines like uh, baptism, fully immersed in water. That's the way we do it. And others say, no, we're going to sprinkle you, you know. It's a doctrinal issue of how we understand what baptism means, and people divide on those lines. Uh, church governance, how a church should be run, who should be in charge, you know, elders, board, whatever. So we divide. Issues of ethic is another uh, line that churches tend to have divided over. And when I talk about ethic, I'm talking about how we live the Christian life. There are people who love Jesus who wear, you know, black clothes, head coverings, and ride a horse and buggy. And they love the Lord. They have an ethic that says we don't do cars, you know. There are people that wear certain clothes. There are some people that have an ethic that says we won't touch alcohol. And other Christians who love the Lord that say it's okay. So there's all of these ethic issues about like how do we live the Christian life? What's okay? What's not okay? What should we wear? How should we worship? Etc. 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 And so I want to show you this image. This is um, historically speaking, we've got this image of, of church history. So you'll see the box at the top. I know you can't read it from where you are, but the box at the top says Christian Church Founder Jesus Christ. And then underneath it, you're going to see all of these subdivisions. On the, on the kind of the, the left side, you see Roman Catholicism, and then eventually the Protestant Reformation, Martin Luther, and then all of these denominations form out of that. You're going to see Eastern Orthodox across on the, on the right side, and then the Church of England, and then the Baptists, and the Wesleyans, and the Lutherans, and the Pentecostals, and the, you name it. They're all there. But each of these groupings of people, many of whom are Christians and love the Lord, they divide over lines of doctrine, and over lines of ethic. How do we, what, what does the Bible teach, and how do we live it out? Now, the reason why I wanted to show you this is because something that is so unique about Pathway Church is that this church is comprised of people from all of these backgrounds. And that's unique. Because people typically gather in denominations, and I'm not against denominations. I've been part of many of them. There's no, there's no anything. But people tend to gather around people that are like them, that agree with them, that think like them, that act like them. It's so much easier that way. There isn't all the conflict. There isn't all the, oh, I don't know about that, and all the questions and all the gray lines. It's like, oh, let's just all agree that we agree, and we all kind of read the Bible the same way, and we all act the same way, and it's easy. Would you agree? And if we hang around with people that are just like us, think like us, read the Bible like us, it's easy, but we get weird. <laughs> okay, I'll just I'll throw it out there. And Pathway Church is like this unique um, expression of a community of faith because 30% of the people that called Pathway Church home weren't coming from another church. That's amazing. And then the other 70% of you who have arrived here and called Pathway Church your home, uh, you've come from Wesleyan, Pentecostal, Catholic, Anglican, all of these backgrounds. And so with that comes a variety of, of doctrinal beliefs 
and a variety of, of ethical behaviors that some think are okay and others think are not. Does this make sense? And, and there hasn't been a lot of problems with this, so I'm not even addressing a problem. What I want to show you today is when Paul's writing to the early church about these two groups that are dividing over these kinds of issues, uh, he's actually going to encourage them in how to approach Christian, Christian unity. Now, you may be wondering, you're like, okay, all these denominations, if you're new to church, you don't know a lot about church history, you may be wondering to yourself, uh, how is it that there could be all these divisions and factions within the church? I mean, aren't they all reading the same book? The answer is yes. For the most part, they're all reading the same book. Uh, the, the problem is this, and I heard a, a theological professor named Bob Utley, this fantastic uh, older southern gentleman, and, and he talked about uh, how we approach the Bible is so important. So, for example, when we go to the Scriptures, we want to know about God, okay? Can we agree? I mean, that's the goal, you know, for coming to church, to know about God. And, and one of the issues is, is that when we come to God, we come with a particular frame of mind. And that frame of mind will, will, also, will, be, uh, will include our personality, and it'll include what we were taught as kids. It'll include cultural ideas, and all of this forms a filter through which we read the Bible. And what tends to happen is we all read the Bible and we focus on different verses. And then if we're not just focusing on different verses, we interpret the verses differently. And one of the things that he said that really helped me uh, was he said that, look, in the West, and most of us born and raised in the West, uh, we approach truth through logic. A plus B equals C. Scientific method. Build block upon block and there's the truth. And And that's good and right. But in Eastern thinking in Eastern philosophy, truth was arrived at in a different way. It came in the form of story, in the form of parable, in the form of imagery and art. And so you would see truth and you would hear truth expressed in different ways. And guess what? This is an Eastern book, not a Western book. And that's why when you read this book and you're trying to discover who God is, we we tend um, to not really catch this idea that that God has spoken of in the Scripture intention-filled pairs. Let me explain, and I'll hopefully illustrate it for you. For example, the Bible clearly tells us that God is just. Would you agree? In fact, it tells us that God will right every wrong, that he will judge the wrongdoer, that he will punish the wicked. That's why we can forgive, by the way. We forgive because we know that there is a just ruler on the throne, who will make right what's been made wrong. So we have a just God, but the Bible also equally teaches that God is merciful. That he forgives sin. And he extends grace and love and kindness to others. And you're like, well, how could it be? Is he either just or he's merciful? Which is it? Both. That's called a tension-filled pair. Right? When we talk about God, we say, oh, God is sovereign. Right? And, and people lo- love to talk about the sovereignty of God. Right? Mess than I. God is sovereign, which means he's in control. He's in charge of everything. He rules over heaven and earth. But it also teaches equally that we have free will. Choose you this day whom you will serve. And for a hundred verses, I could show you the sovereignty of God and prove that Calvin was right. And I could take another hundred verses and show you all about the free will and choice that God has somehow in his sovereignty given to us. And And in our logical brains, we're like, it has to be one or the other. I gotta pick this side or that. But in reality, it's a tension-filled pair. The Bible tells us that God is a holy king. We could keep going all day long, friends. He's a holy king. 
In fact, the angels in the throne room of God, these magnificent creatures, they cover their faces with their wings in God's presence. That if anyone was to come into God's presence, they would die. He's so holy. It's like, wow. But the Bible also teaches that God is a loving father. Okay? Are you seeing the tension? That we can come to him as sons and daughters and call him Abba, which means dad or daddy. That we can boldly approach the throne of this magnificent king who's worthy of honor, respect, and fear. That's called a tension-filled pair. And so as we think about this, and we're trying to discover, okay, who is God? He's this? Yes. And he's that? Yes. Jesus' disciples came to Jesus one day and they said, you know, um, would you show us the Father? Would you just show us who he is? Would you describe who God is? And Jesus makes an incredible statement. He says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. The Father and the Son are one. The Son, Jesus, is the perfect revelation of who the Father is. And you know what the scriptures tell us about Jesus? Tells us that he was, <laughs> he was full of truth, completely truthful, and full of grace. Another tension-filled pair. And so you have this Jesus, who is the head of the church, who is completely both. And, and here's what happens. Within the church community, um, I'm going to draw some lines. I'm going to make a little pyramid here, okay? We have all of these different ways that we understand God. I'm going to draw a line down the middle. God is fully all of these things, and he's fully all of those things, but I'll tell you what happens. What happens to us is that we, based on our personality, based on our, the things we were instructed, the denomination we grew up, our background, whatever it is, we find ourselves somewhere. And what I mean by that is maybe you grew up in a very strict church, and this is what they talked about and what they focused on. And so for you, that's what you think of God is primarily these things. Someone else might have grown up in a different church, a faith or a charismatic church, and they might be way over here with Christian freedom. And, and, and they view God through this lens, and you're viewing it through this lens, and when we open the Bible, we find the verses that affirm what we believe instead of finding the verses and saying, God, speak to me. You see the difference? And so we come to God with our filters, we come to him with our frames, our backgrounds, and we all, we all lean in a direction. Now, so, so we're all over the place doctrinally and ethically, but hopefully all these people are all following Jesus and loving him, so what do we do? Well, I'll tell you what we do. We tend to gather in groups of people that are just like us. You can call this denominations or churches or groups, right? And so we, we gather in a group of people that are just like us. We've got this group over here. And they always preach about the justice of God, the sovereignty of God, the holiness of God, and the truth of God. And you could start naming denominations and groups. And then you take another group of people over here, and we all gather around the freedom and the grace and the Holy Spirit and all of these kinds of things that are wonderful. So we've got a group over here, and we've got a group over here. Now here's the problem. Both of these groups think they have the balance. They both think they're in the middle. They've got a full, they've got the right understanding of both, all the aspects of God, and they're standing right, you know, foot planted. We get God. And if both groups think they're in the middle, guess, if this group thinks they're in the middle, then guess where that group is? They're not even Christians, right? If this group thinks they're in the middle, then where's this group? They're apostate. This is what happens. And so we have these groups, all of these distinct factions within the church, and one of the amazing things about my personal story is this. Uh, when I grew up, I got to be a part of a lot of different churches. And uh, 
I remember as a kid being in a little Bible church, there were 30 people. There was a guy who sat in the front row, played his accordion. People put in their requests for hymns, and we sang them out of the hymnal, and it was beautiful. And we stayed and studied the Bible, and then we had a potluck, and it was wonderful. And then we moved to the city, and I got to be part of a multi-ethnic church with people of all different backgrounds. People were dancing around, uh, Holy Spirit church, female pastor. And I'm looking at this whole setup, and I'm going, this is so different. And then uh, later, I would become part of a Word of Faith church, and then to a Baptist church, and then to a Pentecostal church, and then... Then I began to work with other churches, Anglicans and Lutherans and Presbyterians and uh, doing work with teenagers and doing ministry in all these different denominations. You know what I discovered? I didn't discover that I agreed with them on everything. What I discovered was that God has his people in all of these places. There were people of God in every one of those places. And it opened my eyes to realize that, that maybe I'm here or maybe I'm here and maybe they're there. The, the real issue is where are they at with Christ? And I began to have a bigger view, a higher view of what God's family is all about. And so today as we turn to Romans chapter 14, we're going to see Paul addressing two groups of people. One group that's over here in Christian freedom, and another group that's trying to obey the law and live responsibly according to the knowledge that they have of the scriptures. So you have two distinct groups that are dividing out. And what Paul is not going to do, my friends, is say we need to form two different churches. The church with the Jews who keep some of these laws and food laws and and who are worshiping on the Sabbath and then the other Christians and Jews who feel like they're free to eat whatever and do whatever. And Paul doesn't divide them. He's actually going to give them a frame of mind that I want to share with you that's going to help them to move towards unity and Christ together. Make sense? It's going to be some deep stuff, so prepare yourself. This is the overarching idea in this chapter. Christians should be careful not to make their theology or ethic the standard or ethic for all believers. That's really important. That we wouldn't be, have the arrogance to think that we've got it figured out and we're right and everyone else is wrong. Don't you think that's a good warning? Um, that's essentially what Paul's going to say to the church here in the 14th chapter as we dive into it. So let's begin in verse 1. Paul says, As for the one who's weak in faith, by the way, he's calling the one who's weak in faith the one who's refraining from eating meat. Not because of health reasons, but because they're, they're trying to keep the Jewish food laws, okay? So he's going to call them weak and the people who eat everything strong, which might surprise some of you. As the one who's weak in faith, welcome him, but not to quarrel over opinions. This is Paul's perspective. If you think you're mature in the faith, if you think you understand the Bible and you've got some things figured out, your job should not be to correct everybody. Your job is not to prove to everyone that you're right that you've got it figured out. Your job is to welcome people and love them. That's, that's a pretty big deal right there. I mean, that's, we could all go home and we've got something. Welcome them. Welcome them, not to quarrel over opinions. The point isn't being right here, okay? He continues in verse 2. One person believes he may eat anything while the weak person eats only vegetables. I was going to insert some vegetarian jokes at this point in the sermon because it it's like a perfect setup for it. I had a great vegan joke, but I'm not going to share it because it was a bit cheesy. A couple of you got that. This isn't, this, isn't about, this isn't about choosing not to eat meat. This is, about, uh, this is about a doctrinal issue. There were those, likely they were Jews. We learned about this last week, about how Daniel refused to eat the king's food because God had said, don't eat these foods. And so he was willing to die to not eat those foods. And we applauded Daniel for living according to his conscience. But now that Christ has come and there's freedom 
and we're not eating certain foods to please God, you have these two groups. You have Jews, very likely, who grew up with these strict food laws who are now worshiping Jesus. They're not going to the temple and sacrificing animals thinking they're going to be saved. They're trusting in Jesus, but they still adhere to the food laws. They won't eat the food that God commanded the Jews not to eat. There were other people, probably Gentiles and some Jews, who said, you know what? Our interpretation of the Bible, Jesus said, it's not what goes in your mouth that defiles you, what comes out. All things are made clean. We don't have to eat food to please God. We can receive everything. These are two very different theological understandings on the same subject, and the groups are beginning to divide. Here's what he says to the two groups. This is fascinating. Verse 3, let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains. So the one person goes, I can eat anything because Christ has set me free, and I have Christian freedom. I'm over on this side, you know? And they're like, there's a tendency for those of us who think we're mature, who have Christian freedom, to look down our big bony noses at the person who says, I can't eat that, and to look down and be like, well, you just don't understand the Bible like I do. You, you haven't understood the pure doctrine, and you don't understand how free we are in Christ. Why would you do that? And we're, and we're able to be critical of them, looking down our noses. But then he's going to speak to the other side, and look what he says in the next verse. And let not the one who abstains, the one who says, I'm going to keep the law of Moses and not eat that. He says, let not that person pass judgment on the one who eats. The person over on this side is looking at the person over there eating a pork chop and thinking to themselves, you're going to hell. You broke the food laws. Like God said, look, I can show it to you right here in the Bible that you can't eat that. And he goes, yeah, but I understand it differently because this is what Paul and Jesus said. And there's a disagreement. And Paul's saying, be careful on both sides of the line, folks. Because you can be on this side and you can be looking down your nose at that guy and that guy can be judging the other going, you're not even a Christian. You ate something you shouldn't have eaten. Do you see the, do you see the problem? And Paul is addressing this issue and he's going he's to set them straight. He says this, This is why we welcome one another in spite of our differences. He says, because God has welcomed him. When we understand this idea, you and I don't determine who goes to heaven. You and I don't determine who God's children are. God does. Shocker. Good thing it's not us. God decides. And when we understand, hey, you know what? We disagree on these theological points. We disagree on this lifestyle issue or whatever the thing is that's in in front of us. And of course, there are clear sinful things that are off limits, and then there's a lot of the other stuff we fight about. It's just silly. And he looks and he says, welcome him because God is welcome. And then notice what he says next. Paul's not going to take it easy on them. Who are you, verse 4, to pass judgment on the servant of another? In other words, he says, you report to Jesus, and you report to Jesus, and you report to Jesus, not to one another. Now, we could do a whole nother sermon on how, as Christians, we call one another higher, and iron sharpens iron, and how we, you know, all of that stuff. And that's super important. But in this case, Paul is reminding them that each of them reports to a master. People, I've been a boss. People work for me. I tell them what to do because I'm the boss. I would not dare walk into your place of employment and tell your employees what to do because I'm not their master. You are. I've I have four kids. Sometimes I will overhear one of my kids parenting one of my other kids. Right? And I'll hear this. I'll be like, you can't watch that. You can't eat that. Stop doing that. You should be doing this. And I'm listening from the other room and thinking, oh, that's interesting because I never said that. And I'll, I'll come kind of sneaking up to the door and I'm listening to this conversation. I'll step in. And I'll be like, excuse me. And everyone stops. I'll say, are you your brother's parent? No. 
Is your nickname Dad? <laughs> no. Back off. Right? And, and even you go, well, yeah, but pastor, what about authority? Well, authority is a great conversation. Uh, what if I put one of my older kids in charge of my younger kids and my wife and I go out on a hot date and we're home in an hour and a half because there's nothing to do in Peterborough, you know? <laughs> it's like, they're not even in bed yet. Are we really going to go home? Well, there's nothing else to do. <sighs> How about Armor Hill? No, you know? <laughs> so some of the locals know what I'm talking about. And and so it's like, so we come home, and, and here's the deal. If the younger kids, if the younger kids did not listen to the authority of the older kids, guess who gets in trouble? The younger kid. But if I come home and find out that one of my older kids was unreasonable, harsh, mean, making them scrub toilets and, you know, wash the car, and it's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Guess who gets punished? The one who's in authority. Here's the deal. If God puts us in authority over others, we stand a higher and harsher judgment before God because we're not only responsible for ourselves, but for the people under us. We ought to be very careful, Paul is saying, about judging people who are under somebody else. It's a good warning. And yes, we need to call each other on stuff. And yes, there's an appropriate way for all that. But Paul is warning us here to be very, very cautious about how we do that, uh, which, is, which is absolutely amazing. Who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? It is before his own master that he stands or falls, and he will be upheld, for the Lord is able to make him stand. This is, this is, if, if they are right before God, then your opinion really doesn't matter all that much. Verse 5, one person esteems one day better than another, while another esteems all days alike. This sounds like not a big deal to us, but I'm telling you, there were people in the early church that were like, the Jewish Sabbath is everything. That keeping the Passover and these certain feasts that God explicitly commanded in the Old Testament. And then there was another group of Christians saying, no, we're free to just worship Jesus every day, and we don't have to keep all those traditions and rules. That's a big deal, friends. That was like church-splitting stuff. And yet Paul isn't going to encourage them to do that. Here's what he says. He says, each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. Paul calls for each and every one of us to open this book for ourselves and discover what we believe God is saying to us. Most people argue about things, doctrines, and ethics that somebody else taught them. They've never actually found it in here. They just, they just keep the, the party line. And I'll encourage all of you to open up this book and be students of this book. And if we disagree with somebody in our church, then we sit down with them, if they're willing, with this book, and we study it together to find out what has God said. You might find that you, you each come towards the middle, or you might find that one of you is right and will teach and help the other get out of error. But we do it through this book, and we open it up and we study it together. But each one should be fully convinced in his mind. When we get to ethical issues, some things, I was thinking uh, as I was preparing for this about like something like tattoos, okay? Hot button topic for some people. You know, Christians shouldn't mark up their body. It's the temple of the Holy Spirit. And if that's your conviction, don't get a tattoo. But there are other people like, no, I'm going to, I'm going to display my faith versus images that mean something to me, and I can do it to honor the Lord. And you're like, yeah, but, and there's a disagreement. Each one should be convinced in his own mind. I was thinking about the hot button topic of Halloween. When I was a kid, man, we did not go out on Halloween. We did not. I remember as a kid thinking, I wish I wasn't a Christian on this day of the year because all my friends were out there having fun and I'm stuck in the basement, you know, watching a Disney movie. Uh, there was actually one year, there was one year, uh, godless little Nathan, uh, 
My parents were painting the basement, and they, didn't, they were so caught up in what they were doing, we threw garbage bags on and ran around the neighborhood saying we were garbage collectors or something, getting candy like we were defiant. Um, but, but there's so many different viewpoints on this, and here's what Paul's saying through this chapter. If you feel like going out in your neighborhood and participating in Halloween is wrong for you, it's wrong for you. Don't do it. Don't violate your conscience. You should not do it. But someone else might say, it doesn't bother me one bit. From what I understand in the scripture, God is greater than all those things. We're not worshiping. We're putting my kids in a bunny costume. We're saying hi to our neighbors, being salt and light, and it's okay for me. That's a totally different viewpoint. And for them, it might be okay. You're like, really? (laughs) You're not helping, pastor. You're creating more ambiguity. But the bottom line is, he says, each one should be convinced that we're going to be responsible to God for what we understand and believe and our conscience. He continues in verse 6, the one who observes the day observes it in honor of the Lord. The one who eats in honor of the Lord since he gives thanks to God, while the one who abstains abstains in honor of the Lord and gives thanks to God. Notice the theme, honor the Lord. That's our call as Christians is to honor the Lord. I'll tell you this too. Here's what I've discovered We can get tripped up when we, you know, if you're over in this camp, you want this group to become like you. This group wants this group to become like them. What Paul is saying is each group should seek to honor the Lord. Is this making sense? That we're moving towards Christ to the best and most complete understanding of him from Scripture, uh, bearing witness with our conscience, and we're each moving towards the Lord. Look, the goal is not to get you to believe and act like me. The goal is to get you to believe in Jesus and move towards him. That's the goal. And, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to add another element uh, to my drawing. I'm going to add some holiness lines. You ready for this? Okay. These are holiness lines. It'll make sense in a second. Just hang, bear with me. So we've got some holiness lines. And what I mean by that is... A person down here maybe is new to faith and their life isn't cleaned up when they've got bad habits, there's sin in their life. They're just at the beginning of the journey. And someone who's up here, you know, has grown in their understanding and certain sins and behaviors have been parsed out of their life because of the work of the Holy Spirit in them. And and what can happen is we can sometimes um, judge other people based on where we think they're at and not where they're at. Okay? And so, for example, somebody who's down here is a baby in the faith, and this person is supposed to be mature and a leader, and the very same thing they do could be dealt with very differently. Let me give you a practical example. If you have a little kid, say you're visiting a friend and they're giving you a garden tour. Hey, look, all weekend we built this beautiful flower garden, and your two-year-old boy whips down his pants and starts peeing on the flowers. And as a parent, you're going, oh my gosh, this is all, and oh, and you grab them, and you turn them to peeing on the grass, and you're, and, and you, and you're, and your kid looks at you, and they're just like, I don't know why you're so mad at me. I was going to pee in my pants, and I knew that was bad, so I thought those hostels look really dry and thirsty. And so a two-year-old wouldn't actually say that. But you get the idea. And so there's this pure motive. They're just messing up. And you say, listen, listen. These people spent all this time making this beautiful garden, and they don't want you peeing. It's like, oh, I'm so sorry, Mommy. I'm so sorry, Daddy. And so there's this gentle, like, redirection. If your 18-year-old son pulls down his pants and pees on their garden... You call the cops. Like, so there's a huge difference with the way you treat somebody who's in leadership, somebody who's been walking with the Lord for 20 years and should know better, and somebody who's starting the journey. And the problem with our judgment is we don't know all the time. 
And if our judgment of others and our encouragement to them for holiness isn't based out of relationship and we don't know where they are on the spectrum, sometimes we can overdo it. And I just, that's why this whole conversation of judgment is so, so, so important uh, to talk about. Because here's the bottom line. If this person is, is trying to be holy for you, it's called legalism. If they're trying to be holy for Jesus, it's called sanctification. It's the work of the Spirit. And those are very different things. So our goal is not to get people to believe like us, act like us. Our goal is for them to move towards Christ. And they might do it in a slightly different way than us, and that's okay. This helping anybody today. He continues in verse 10. Why do you pass judgment on your brother? Why do you pass judgment? Now, is it right for Christians to judge one another? (laughs) Jesus says, judge not lest you be judged. But then Peter, his disciple, says, judgment begins with the house of God. Like, okay, so don't judge and judge. Which is it? It's both. Right? There it is again. The point is, there are times you should judge and there are times you should not. There's a right way to judge and a wrong way to judge. And you're like, well, I don't want to figure that out. I just want to hit somebody with the Bible. Right? So we need a whole message series about what is the appropriate way for iron to sharpen iron. Because guess what? If iron is sharpening wood, you're just going to cut a hole. So there's a, there's a right way to approach it and to do all that, but we can't get into it today. I'm already over time and I've still got a bunch of verses, so... Why do you despise your brother? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God, for it is written, As I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall confess to God, so that, look at this, each one of us will give an account of himself to God. Quick overview. There's at least two judgments. One is called the great white throne judgment, where every person who has rejected Jesus, God's own son who came and died for us, will stand before God and try to explain to him why they rejected the free gift. That's not good. But there's a judgment seat of Christ for all those who are believers. And it's not a judgment like you're in or out of the family. It's like a judgment of like, okay, what did you do with what I gave you? Every one of us will stand before Jesus on that day. And notice it says, for himself, you will stand alone. I'm not going to stand in front of Jesus with Pathway Church and be like, yeah, we did pretty good. I'm not going to stand there with my wife or my kids. I'm going to stand there and God's going to say, I want you to give an account of your leadership as a pastor. I want to give an account as a man, as a husband, as a father. That terrifies me, but it also is freeing. How can both of those things be true? Well, there it is again. It's terrifying and it's freeing, and here's why. It's terrifying because I know that I'm not there yet. I know my theology isn't perfect. I think I'm in the middle, but I'm probably not. I think I'm way up here in the holiness chart, but I'm not. And so I I realize that and I think, oh my goodness, there's so much work to do. How would I dare criticize another pastor down the road when there's so much right in front of me and I'm going to stand before God and that pastor is not going to be standing with me. No other dads or moms will be standing with you. You'll stand before God and he'll say, what did you do with what I gave you? And we'll put all of our stuff, here's what we did, and we'll put it all in front of him. And Paul says, God will put fire to it. (laughs) And all the stuff that was worthless, that was selfish, that was, it'll just burn away. And what's left is the stuff that we did to honor the Lord with a faithful heart. Gold, silver, precious stones, and that will be our reward for eternity. (laughs) And you realize that. Paul's like, remember this judgment before you judge everyone else. There's so much work to do right here before you start jumping down someone else's throat. Here's his his conclusion, verse 13. Therefore, in light of the fact that we're all going to stand before Jesus, 
Let us not pass judgment on one another any longer, but rather decide never to put a stumbling block or hindrance in the way of a brother. He says, instead of me trying to fix you, I'm going to try to be so holy and so loving towards you that I never do or say anything that gets in the way of you moving to Jesus. Because I could do some things that I know are right, and I could be theologically right, and I could mess you up. Right? He says, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to so love you that I'm not going to do that. Verse 14, Paul now gives us a hint of what he believes. I know and am persuaded in the Lord that nothing is unclean in itself. What Paul is saying is, you could put a pork chop in front of me. And Paul was a Jew. You could put a pork chop in front of me and say, it was sacrificed to Molech. Paul says, hey, no problem. God made the cow, or God made the pig. I receive it with thanksgiving. Molech is nothing. God is everything. Greater is he that is in me than he is in the world. And just eat it right up. No problem. His conscience wouldn't bother him one bit. But that amazing level of freedom is not the end of the story. Notice what he says. He says, but it is unclean. That same piece of meat would be unclean for anyone who thinks it's unclean. So he says, look, I realize that I'm free to eat it, but somebody else may not be. And I'm not going to let my freedom hinder them. He continues, if, you, if your brother is grieved by what you eat, you are no longer walking in love. Paul says, I can eat anything, but I won't eat anything. I have all this freedom in Christ, but I'm going to limit my freedom in Christ for the sake of my brother. That's, that is spiritual maturity right there. That is wisdom and love right there in action. And it brings people together instead of tearing them apart. He continues, by what you eat, do not destroy the one for whom Christ died. In other words, Paul's saying you can be exactly right and you can do it in the wrong way. Good to remember, right? Because usually we're like, well, I'm right, so I'm right. No, you can be right and you can do it the wrong way and cause harm. Verse 16, so do not let what you regard as good be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking. It's not about all the external things that we judge. It's not that. It's of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. It's about what God is producing in his people. And his people are all over the place. Verse 18, whoever thus serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by men. So then, let us pursue what makes for peace and mutual upbuilding. Now, I believe there's pure doctrine, and I want to understand the Bible, and I want to have it all right, and we should all pursue that. But how we pursue it matters. How we live amongst one another matters. And there is a way of love, and there's a way of wisdom that we can embrace, that Paul lays out for us. We can be totally free, and yet limit our freedom for the benefit of others and in an effort to honor the Lord. So we want to use our freedom and limit our freedom to honor the Lord. Does this make sense? That's my goal and my heart for Pathway Church. I, know, uh, I knew at the outset when we started this church it was going to be a difficult task. Because I believe that God has his people through all these different denominations and people can disagree with me and they're still in the family. And I really do believe that. And, and I want us to kind of to move forward together and I knew it would be a challenge. And I'm inviting you into this process. It's not clean not clean lines. It's not easy to decipher. But I don't want you to write people off either. And I want us to be able to move forward no matter what comes up in our small groups, right? You can be in a small group and somebody's like, let's all pray in tongues. And other group members are looking like, no, we're not doing that. And if that's important for you, do it at home and show up to your group and encourage your brothers and sisters, not, not to convert them to what you believe, but encourage, love, and build up the body of Christ. That's making sense. So that's how we want to have an approach so that we can continue in the direction that God has given us, uh, building up the body of Christ here in our city. Can we pray together? Father, thank you so much for this message that 
that Paul gives to the Roman church. It's, it's so encouraging to know it's not just us that disagree, but people have disagreed throughout the centuries. And our disagreement and our particular brand of doctrine or ethic is not necessarily going to be for every single one, but I pray that each of us would, empowered by the Spirit, move towards the living and risen Christ, that we would seek to be like Him, and that as each one of us does that, you will purify, sanctify, and make us holy. And God, thank you for the diversity that is in this church. Thank you for each person, no matter where they're on that journey of faith. God, continue to draw us to yourself. That is what we desire. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Pathway Church Podcast. If you'd like to reach out to us, go to our website, pathwaylife.com. And as always, don't forget to subscribe. See you next week.